me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. Hey everybody, welcome to Metallicast, the Metallica podcast. I am your host and fellow Metallica fan. My name is Brandon. On this episode, I'm joined by Jake and Ian from Jubilee Street Podcast for a great crossover episode. You can find this episode on their feed as well as we take a deep dive into the Metallica cover, Loverman. Jubilee Street is a Nick Cave podcast with each episode taking a look at a different song in his catalog. You can find it on Apple, Google, Spotify, anywhere you find Metallicast. And for those of you in the Metallicast militia who are longtime listeners, you may know that Nick Cave is one of my personal favorite artists. So when I found out there is a Nick Cave podcast out there and heard how great of a job Jake and Ian do over there, I jumped at the chance to talk about Loverman with them. So I hope you enjoy the episode. But before any of that, let us not forget that this is SNM2 week. SNM2 will be out this Friday, August 28th. I have already completed an interview with conductor Edwin Outwater for Metal Talk TV on MetalTalk.net. So look for that on my social this week at MetallicaSpot on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The audio of that interview will also be released as a Metallicast episode as soon as possible. And of course, this Friday, August 28th, please celebrate the release of SNM2 with the next Metallicast Live. It will be featuring Scott Pingle and Doug Wright of the San Francisco Symphony. Scott is the principal bassist. He is the man who played Anesthesia Pulling Teeth at SNM2. Doug Wright is the principal harpist one of, I believe, 20 orchestra members or thereabouts who played both SM concerts. There will be a live chat so you can interact, ask questions. It's going to be a great time. It will be at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time on the At Metallicast Pod Facebook page, the MetalTalk.net Facebook page, and the Fans Not Experts YouTube page. Now, here's my talk with Jake and Ian from Jubilee Street Podcast all about Love Man. Yeah! Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Jubilee Street, a Nick Cave podcast. I am Ian McCurtis, a punk rock musician from another dimension where the Metallica album Lulu was actually good. <laughs> I'm here with Jake Curtis. What's going on, Jake? Hey, recording live with Metallicast and Ian from... And Yeah, we have a special guest, Brandon, from the great Metallica podcast, Metallicast. What's up, Brandon? Hey guys, thank you for uh, agreeing to do this recording with me. Uh, I'm excited to do this because uh, I am, well, obviously a huge Metallica fan since I am the host of a Metallica podcast, but I'm also a big Nick Cave fan. Uh, so when I found out there was a Nick Cave podcast, I just had to message you guys and be like, Loverman, that's my end to to do this podcast yeah. with them. <laughs> yeah, I was super excited. Uh, we both were when we got the message and I think it'll be super fun. Uh, especially because it's such a weird cover. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a left field choice for the band, but I, I got to back up for a minute, though, and, and do some Lulu talk with you guys, I think. <laughs> yeah, what's up? <laughs> Are you a Lulu fan? You know, not really, no. <laughs> and and I, hope, I, hope the, I hope the Metallica fans out there don't don't uh, hate me for saying that. I feel like it's, it's not a generally well-liked album, is it? 
99% of the Metallica fans, I think, would agree with your sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> it is one of those albums that, you know, it, it's more of a Lou Reed record. Metallica contributed to it. I'm not really sure how Lou Reed fans feel about it, to be honest with you. But I know for Metallica fans, it was too out there. I'll, I'll, I can leave it at that. It was too out there for a, most I was working at a pizza place when it came out and there was a bunch of Metallica fans in the kitchen and they were all super excited about the idea of it. And then it came out and they weren't so excited. (laughs) I I will say this though. I, it's funny. I was just uh, recording an episode of my podcast last night and my guest and I started talking about Lulu uh, because he had some opinions on it. And, and I said, I like that the album exists. That's a cool idea. Yeah. Like I might not, dig the album i'm it's definitely not a a daily weekly monthly go-to for me by any means but i like that exists i i respect the fact that they were willing to try something different and uh you know I, i like artists who push themselves and i and i feel like uh to bring it full circle that uh lover man sort of being a left field choice was uh metallica trying something different for themselves for sure yeah it's it's a weird one to pick, but I think to. they did a pretty good job. I'm gonna have to dive into that one. I don't actually know if I've heard Lulu. I've heard about it. Apparently, David Bowie said it was like one of the best thing Reed uh, Lou Reed's done. So it's pretty good. I didn't know that. It does have a fun uh, a fun. It does have a fan in David Bowie, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I, I would encourage anybody to listen to it once or at least listen to a few parts in here here or there because if you're into music, it's definitely an experience. <laughs> uh, but I will say, you know, it's not I, – I do not think it's all garbage. I think there's some good riffs on there. I think there's some, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's some good parts here or there sprinkled throughout. But then there are other parts that sort of just sound kind of like a rambling um, – mess maybe but that's sort of also lou reed's thing i feel like you know he just is sort of uh yeah <laughs> rambling over things so if if, yeah. if if you're prepared for that then uh maybe you'll get something out of it i'm excited so to start things off uh brandon why don't you talk about where you first heard nick cave and we'll talk about kind of you know our first experiences with metallica sure so my first experience with Nick Cave was actually through Metallica. Uh, I remember being in, it must have been eighth grade, and Metallica released Garage Inc., which was uh, their collection of cover songs. And, you know, some were obvious for Metallica, like they had a cover of uh, The Misfits and Merciful Fate. Mm-hmm. And, but then they had sort of these left turns along the way, like uh, they did... Uh, well, perhaps most famously from that album, Turn the Page by Bob Seger. And then in the mix was the song Loverman. Mm-hmm. And I knew nothing about Nick Cave in the Bad Seeds. And I heard that cover for the first time when I was in eighth grade. And I was like, this is weird. This is yeah. a, this, like the, like, you know, a couple songs later, James Hetfield is covering Merciful Fate and singing about Satan. And in this one, he's going, love it. L is for love, baby. And I'm like, yeah. what? what? This is just weird to hear James Hetfield sing this way. But it had, but at the same time, it sort of worked because it had 
uh, you know, it was a very dynamic song, and I think Metallica is a very dynamic band when they are at their best, and uh, and it has sort of that creepy haunting feel. So I, mm-hmm. I, I dug it. From there, I I would say I was in high school when I really started diving into Nick Cave himself. I think my first album of his was just the best of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds because I just want to sort of I figured that would give me a general overview of his discography. And then from there, and there's a lot of it to go through. Yeah. And it's all very <laughs> different, you know? Yeah. So yeah. It, it's like, you're not sure if you're going to get, uh, you know, noise, Nick cave or ballad, Nick cave or what have you. So it, it, that was a good sort of introduction to me and, or introduction for me. And then from there, I just sort of started diving into more individual records. I might've gone and let love in after, the best of because that contains uh lover man and also uh red right hand which is probably his most famous yeah. piece of music for uh a, at least mainstream you know it's been in scream i remember hearing it in dumb and dumber uh back in the day oh yeah uh, so, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think because it's been in several you know big movies people are probably most familiar with that song if even if they do not know it's nick cave or know anything about him so that's sort of mm-hmm. what drew me to that album next and then i just started doing deeper and deeper dives um and i, I just found so much material that i really really enjoyed and it, it, i i love it because he it, there's those songs with the bad seeds that they just build up like this frenetic frantic uh almost heavy sound but then he'll just sing at the piano and yeah sometimes they just build up to this release and then the release never comes right and you know i really liked sort of the 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 pushes and pulls and sort of like the Mm -hmm. juxtapositions musically that nick gave and the bad seeds had and and also lyrically because you know he would sing about religion and sing about love but in such a dark way that and it, it reminded me a lot of uh johnny cash is another one of my all-time favorite oh yeah musician so it, I, I was just really drawn to the music as well as just sort of the character that nick cave is this mythical character for sure yeah jake what, what are uh where, what were your first experiences with metallica uh well i just wanted to say i think it's cool that you're first experience with Nick Cave was Loverman because (laughs) you know I sort of started this podcast with Ian being somewhat of a newcomer Uh, I've only I was only really familiar at the time with the uh, Ian it's called the ambient trilogy right like push the like new stuff yeah push the sky away um, which I haven't heard that record but I have heard skeleton tree and ghosting and I love those those Um, are a not to interrupt, but just, no, please. just those three albums, especially in the last two, Skeleton Tree and Ghostian, I think are definitely among his best. I think an argument could be are are his two best. I really, really love those records. They're it's great. crazy to be in your 60s and still like killing it. Just uh, turning it out. And that's another thing I really admire about Nick Cave is just, you know, he's he, I, I felt like he sort of lost me for a period um yeah i like i was not the biggest fan of dig lazarus dig when i go back and listen to that album i'm like oh there's some cool tracks on here but at the time it came out, i was just sort of like it's also kind of more the same and then he found a way mm-hmm. to take his music into 
familiar but different uh territory yeah. and i and i really really enjoy those records a lot so going from that uh i i just think it's cool that loverman was your first you know experience with the band because mine was more of the like sort of softer sadder elements of nick cave like the later career stuff uh my first experience with metallica um you know I didn't, when I was a kid, I didn't really start like actually getting into music until I was in middle school. So my first couple of bands were like Blink-182 and um, System of a Down. But before that, my dad used to have the Black Album. He had this like old like Honda, um, not, was it a Honda? I can't rem- I think it was an Acura. It was like a nice like red sports car looking thing, but he used to play Black Album in there. And he loved like Inter Sandman. Uh, I think Nothing Else Matters is on there. Yeah. And I heard those songs when I was a kid, so I kind of grew up around them. You know, he would be he would sing them like around the house while I was growing up. But it wasn't until I got into around like high school where I got into Guitar Hero, and I believe they had like And Justice for All. It might have been Guitar Hero or Rock Band, but I heard And Justice for All. Um, one and then i think enter sandman through those rhythm video games and a lot of my favorite music i actually discovered through guitar hero and i learned how to play guitar while i was playing guitar hero so i've kind of uh i I had like a big boom and like i i like went to like a metallica like laser show when i was a kid at the planetarium they played like yeah master of puppets and a couple other uh that's pretty cool but um you know, so it was really cool going back through. I, I listened to two episodes of your podcast. Um, I listened to the episode that you did with Stu Kerwin, which was really interesting. Yeah, he was a great guest. And uh, I loved the first episode of your Black Summer series, the one about Inter Sandman. And yeah. I just wanted to t- take a moment, just, you know, compliment you. Like, you, you really do some good research in there. Like, all that footage and the interviews you threw in there. Like, I was... I listening to I was like cooking last night and uh I just remember having like these like aha moments where I was like oh wow that's so interesting like I didn't I didn't know these <laughs> uh, thank you man things like you you kind of go in depth about uh like like I didn't know James Hetfield wasn't much of a interviewee like he it was more so like Lars Ulrich and oh, yeah. he uh, never shuts up <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was telling uh, Ian before the show my favorite Lars Ulrich uh what is it like feature is when he's in get him to the Greek I don't know if you've seen that movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he's really fucking funny in that. So, um, but yeah, that's sort of my first impression with Metallica. And uh, Ian, do you want to go from there? Yeah, uh, I want to second what you said. Anyone who's listening to this on the Jubilee Street feed, I would definitely check out Metallica. It's like, yeah, a great in-depth look at the band, but also just like some cool history about like metal and just... Yeah, thank you. Yeah, guys. music in general. I, I definitely I learned a lot as well. Thank um, you. I appreciate that. I first so I grew up in the South, and I would say my family is what you would call rednecks. And there's a certain type of like redneck in the South that only listens to country music, but then like Pantera and Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. And and that yep. that was a lot of my family. So, you know, I'd grow up here and you know, just sitting around outside around a fire or something, listening to like Patsy Klein 
Hank Williams Sr. Yeah. And then like Master of Puppets. Uh, <laughs> that sounds like a hell know, of a soundtrack to me, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know, you're a kid, so it doesn't seem weird. Right. It's just what you know. Yeah. So I always associate Metallica with kind of like country music for some reason. Uh, well, it's funny because James Hetfield is a huge fan of country music, especially the old outlaws like Will and Jennings and Johnny Cash and yeah. all those people. And, and it's funny because the like diehard hardcore metalheads from like the 1980s who like grew up mm-hmm. on you know the first few albums and stuff when metallica got to the mid 90s and they did load reload they actually like experimented with country and people were like and those metalheads were like oh it's country talica now <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i guess to the dismay of like metalheads i'm not a metal guy at all but because of that stuff and then like the black album being more just like a you know radio rock kind of sound they were always like a metal band that I didn't mind listening to. Um, and, you know, you brought up being a big Johnny Cash fan and then all of Hetfield's influences. I think it it makes a lot of sense. Same with Nick Cave. Like, a lot of Metallica songs kind of have this biblical good versus evil, yeah. you know, justice, like these themes that, like, you see in country music. Uh, so I kind of like that, like, I kind of had that first experience with them, even though it's kind of weird. That's cool. Yeah, I, I, there is a lot of similarities, even though on paper they seem to be very different. There's a lot of similar, uh, similarities. And, and in fact, I was actually, I, I've talked about Nick Cave a few times in my podcast because, you know, I shouted out Ghost Teen as like one of my favorite albums of last year. And, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I, it's fine because I was recording an episode last night again, and my guest and I started talking about you know, James Hetfield. And I said, my draw to him is that he's sort of like this mythical being. And I realized a lot of my favorite musicians have sort of that myth behind them. And, mm-hmm. you know, from Johnny Cash, Nick Cave, Tom Waits is another one of my favorites. These are just oh, yeah. like, they're like living, breathing characters. And they all sort of gravitate towards the darker side of things. But there's also a big, a lot of lightness around them and mm-hmm. and they're just sort of these mythical beings and i really like that uh out from both uh individuals but i think that's sort of like a another way can sort of uh they sort of connect in a weird way yeah like a larger than life presence Ex- yeah sure. exactly the crossover for like nick cave to metallica i i really like what you said because they the more we, we, you know, I was listening to the songs, you know, today before our podcast and then last night and, you know, there's a lot of connection because I actually found this great quote. It's from like loudersound.com. They did a, a feature on uh, Garage Inc., which is the cover album Metallica did. And James, there's a James Hetfield quote in here where he says, Cave is extremely evil whether he's trying to be or not. <laughs> Uh, as far as him picking this song to cover. And then he said, I just love the feel of that song, Lover Man, and I knew we could do it properly and that we could do it justice. And, like, their cover of Lover Man is pretty much, like, to a T. Like, it's definitely Metallica, but it's a great cover because, you you know, they have all the backing vocals that, you know, Blixa – and Mick Harvey did the backing vocals on the Nick Cave version. 
and then the bandmates are doing the same thing in this version. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think there's definitely like a larger than life, like kind of demonic quality. And even to some other Metallica songs, they have this sort of grandiosity like a Nick Cave song does because there is such like a sort of biblical sense to it. Yeah. And, 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 and I think that's probably what draws James Heffield to that music is sort of all like the, all the connections we've been talking about because he is a massive Nick Cave fan. And I think the main reason, I think the rest of the members are too, but I think he was really the driving force behind covering lover man. And I, I know I've read, you know, several interviews with him where he has said you know nick cave is one of his favorite songwriters and uh i I think i remember a few years back actually uh james Hetfield had a very short-lived instagram account he's very quiet private person so he really stays off social media but a a short-lived instagram account and i the only thing i really remember is he was at a nick cave concert and he took a a like a picture of the stage and posted it and he said something like you know, here to see Nick Cave, my all-time favorite lyricist, and oh, yeah. um, and I and I think actually too that I mean, I I, I recall reading in an old Metallica has a, a fan club, and they have a, a publication that comes out with it called So What, and I remember reading an interview in So What with uh, James Hetfield, and he was talking about getting married. And I think actually Nick Cave was, uh, I I think are you the one that I've been waiting for? I think was his wedding song. Mm. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's pretty cool. That's really cool. So there is a lot of crossover. I was wondering who in Metallica kind of spurned on doing that cover. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it's cool to hear it was James Hetfield. That's I'm, what I figured. I think it was him, but I know like Kirk Hammett, their guitarist, he's a big Nick Kay fan. I, it, I, I also remember him like giving murder ballads a shout out, which is a very like metal record and theme, you know? So <laughs> yeah, it's just all about murdering people. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It, it's and and again, it's also a very Johnny cash like album mm-hmm. in, in that sense too. So again, all these connections are coming together. Who was the bass player at this time? In Metallica. Uh, that was Jason Newstead there. Uh, so he was the, their third basis, but the second basis on album. Um, he's the one who replaced the late great Cliff Burden, uh, who played on. The yeah, first figured he records. wasn't. You know, yeah. he didn't record the song. Yeah, so this is the, the same lineup that uh, from the Black album. They, they okay. Had, they had the same lineup throughout the '90s, and then the early 2000s, Jason left. But yeah, the bass on this song is so good. I was listening to it with some nice headphones and. Especially towards the end, he just gets kind of real groovy with it. It's so good. Yeah, yeah well, the bass is killer on this song. Sorry, uh, go ahead, Brendan. No, I was just going to say it's fine because I was listening to both songs earlier, and yeah, the bass stood out big time to me. And it, it, it just sort of, it, this, the arrangement of Loverman is, I think, why the Bad Seeds are such a good, uh, uh, accompanist to nick cave's words and vision mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah one kind of going like tying back to what we were saying about that how nick cave tends to like you know build and build and build and then there's like a release but it's like a it's kind of a pseudo release like it doesn't really feel like a climax 
this song, like the best moment for me is like right around the last couple minutes where it builds up and then it gets really quiet and the rhythm section kind of comes in and he's like, uh, what's the line? It's like, uh, there's like a look in his eye. Oh, it's, it's gives me chills every time I hear it. Oh, you might think he's asleep, but look at his eyes and the, you know, there's that really noisy uh, yeah, yeah. part kind of yeah. coming in on the left, the left pan. Um, and Metallica really sort of tra like translates that eeriness because kind of moving into like the song's meaning. This is a very like, I don't feel like you could make a song like this now. And if you did, it would definitely be like heavily scrutinized because, you know, this lover man character is basically like a serial killer, or serial rapist kind of figure. And uh, but I, I don't know if it's necessarily like it, it's it's cool because the song feels like a narrative, but it could also just exist as like some sort of like crazed, like lustful poem that's just sitting in Nick Cave, one of Nick Cave's notebooks. And I, I think during this recording, like the recording of this record, they had a lot of just like free recording they were doing where they were just laying tracks down that they didn't even use. Like some of the singles they released for this, there's like a, uh, they did a CD 12 inch where the B side is just like largely like improvised ad lib pieces of music that they just recorded over the couple of years. Yeah. It's just like scraps of like them recording. Yeah. And this feels very free. It feels like there was a lot of improvisation going on, like just all over let love in. There's definitely like, you know, from, from song to song, they're experimenting a lot. Kind of, it, it has like a free quality to it. Um, so I'm curious, you know, why do you think Metallica covered this song? Like, was it just purely for the lyrics? Um, why do you think this was a good song for them to cover, if that makes sense, uh, Brandon? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And, you know, I think it's, like I said at the top, it's a left turn for Metallica. It, it's not a, it, it stands out as a unique cover song in their catalog. Um you, from the vocal delivery to the subject matter, even though it's dark, um, you, you know it's still pretty dark even by Metallica standards. And but I I think that was the draw to it. And I and I and there's so many when you listen to both versions, I there's so many layers to the song, and and when you really listen to what's going on in the background like those eerie guitar melodies and uh, well on the Metallica version is guitar melodies and the Nikkei version. It's more like piano and, but yeah. it, it's, I, I think that was a big draw to them. And, you know, when you hear Hetfield sing this, it, it's one of the rare times where I feel like he really is playing a character. Yeah. And, and I, think that was probably a big thrill for him as a vocalist and it, it was a step maybe outside of his i don't want to speak for him obviously but i i would assume it's kind of a step outside his comfort box and uh but also at the same time just sort of let him let himself be free and kind of see what happens and, and i think that was probably really appealing to them as a band mm -hmm. well it yeah i was allowed... no go, go ahead, ahead. Sorry. jake 
No, you go. I'll go. I'll go after you. Well, I was thinking. I don't know how much you know Headfield thought about this or if this went into it at all, but I was thinking about how, especially in the '90s, like or the early '90s, especially like Metallica had such a bad reputation with like parents and stuff, and you know, it was the kind of music you don't let your kids listen to. Yeah. And it's kind of funny to hear them cover Nick Cave, who's like so much softer than most of the stuff uh, that they're influenced by and that they covered. But the character in Lover Man is like, this is the guy you actually don't want to fuck with. <laughs> yeah. And Nick Cave kind of in a nice foil to Metallica, he really locks in that gothic tone that Metallica kind of carries over with, you know, albums like Master of Puppets, because, you know, going back to what you said about the sort of mythical characters, like Loverman is mythical, but he's also the the theme of this song is probably um, and I'm not I'm not versed in like all of Metallica's songs lyrically, but Nick Cave tends to get a little bit darker, especially in this earlier earlier material. And maybe they were like, wow, like this, this evil character, like maybe James Hetfield and Kirk and the guys like, we're like, let's, let's play that. Let's, let's like play an evil song. Let's like play into that character a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think there is a lot of truth to what both of you are saying. And, you know, I think to, it is a very dynamic song, like I said before. And I think Metallica at their best plays very dynamically. Like you mentioned master puppets, and they, you know, that is a very, starts off very fast, very heavy, but then they have this clean, beautiful, soft interlude in the middle, and then it builds back up again. Like, they're a very dynamic band, or if you hear, you know, even like on a, a radio single, like The Unforgiven, they have the heavy parts, the clean uh, acoustic parts, and, and I, I think that was probably part of the appeal for Lover Man, but also, too, this was a time period when Hatfield was getting very introspective with his lyrics. Um, the albums that came before this, Load and Reload, uh, you know, they, there's a mixed reaction from metalheads about those records because they were starting to become more experimental. They're bringing in out other influences like country western or like blues or, you know, it, just more kind of like ACDC style hard rock. Uh, so mm -hmm. it, was, it was a few different things going on on these records that were a little bit different uh, for Metallica. And I think that tied into uh, I have two points to come from what I just said. One point is that I think that was part of the appeal of doing something new because they have already been experimenting over the last few years. So they're kind of continuing that trend. And two, mm -hmm. because the lyrics were more introspective and more personal than ever before. I'm kind of assuming that was part, of, again, probably part of the appeal to play a character because I get to be somebody, I, I don't have to sing about me. Yeah. Right? I get to take the role of this character and play this person who just so happens to be this evil, evil thing. And it's funny because, you know, I mentioned they cover Merciful Fate. They do like a 12 minute medley of Merciful Fate songs. And it's all, it's 12 minutes of like, cliche 80s metal greatness like witches mm -hmm. and satan and this and that but it's like it's all like goofy and tongue-in-cheek but then like the real evil is in lover man <laughs> yeah yeah for sure 
it's like the the band you would least expect. You know, Loverman comes up on that uh, Garage Inc. track list, and you're like, oh, oh, okay, yeah, all right, we're in for a different kind of ride here. Well, and it it's sort of I remember the first time I heard the Metallic version, it, and sort of what made it a left turn was like the not the fact that it was softer and slower tempo because they have already had gone down that road in their last couple of records especially but but when you have like the background vocals like you know how much longer yeah. like that was a totally different vocal thing that metallica had ever done before and then you get to the lyrics and it's like "Ls for love baby and like all right have singing about love but then it takes a really like really quick it's like R is for rape me. You're like, wait, wait, what did I just hear? M is for murder me. Like, wait, what is going on here? And uh, so I I think that was like the real almost like shock factor. I I appreciate that they did this song because Nick Cave's music can get heavy, but uh, never in like the metal sense or, you know, I listen to a lot of punk, never, never heavy like that. Right. So I imagine just the way the chorus explodes, like Metallica getting a chance to do that was probably so enticing and it's so good to hear that chorus hit with like Lars's drum fills and just like heavy as fuck yeah it's very heavy it, it's funny when I was listening to both songs again today before we recorded I was thinking that I was thinking how the Nick Cave version is heavy when the chorus like the chorus kicks in and it's heavy but not in the heavy metal sense it, again it's like they just are layering and layering and getting more frantic with their instruments and it's building it's building to like this tension mm-hmm. and then it just sort of you know goes back to that bass groove and yeah but you don't get like with my american ears i want some distorted guitars and you don't get any of that right metallica sort of just does what they do best with those crunchy mm-hmm. heavy guitars and that's how they get the heavy sound and it's the same effect it, it and Metallica stays very true to the uh, original recording in a lot of ways, but it's just was fine to hear their different approaches to building up to, you know, that heavy, loud, tense, the tenseness that comes with the chorus. Yeah. They, they double down on the energy that the song that the bad seeds song already had because it's Metallica. They're bringing their own kind of crunch to it. Um, so, I, and, and I really like that uh, they use the wah pedal throughout the song. Yeah. It's really subtle, but I, I personally, like, um, when I was in one of my first bands, when I was, like, 18 or 19, I bought a wah pedal. And we had this one song where the whole first part of the song was just me, like, you know, wanking around on the wah pedal. So whenever I, he- like, I don't hear it that often because uh, I listen to more, like, electronic music and stuff like that now. But when I do hear it, it's great so i really enjoyed that um it's funny because kirk hammond is like notoriously known for using the wah especially on mm-hmm. more recent records and yeah and like a lot of uh like again like the truths from the 80s are like it's too much wah it's like you always <laughs> have something to complain about, <laughs> complain about something. <laughs> this is a little bit of a tangent but when i was a kid uh i feel like metallica fans it was either like you rode with them up to the black album or you like stuck with them through that. Is that still how it is? Or do people kind of like everything now? Well, it, it's a mixed bag to be honest with you. Like there's people like me who are really diehard nerd to love or at least appreciate everything the band has done. 
and mm. uh but then yeah you you get talking to people whenever i have a first time guest on my show the first question i almost always ask is when's the first time you heard metallica how did you get into the band and every single person has a different entry point and depending on where their entry point is it depends on like which how they it generally uh dictates like how they feel about different eras of the band so there are don't get me wrong there's some people who got in on like the first album and they love everything but generally the people who got in the 80s really love the 80s the people who got in the 90s like myself like have a soft spot for like that whole load reload uh quote country alica you know (laughs) yeah version of them like i love those records but i was in middle school when i had those albums you know uh so i'm gonna have this nostalgic soft spot in my heart for those albums but then like i've talked to younger fans who you know their their entry point was their uh, the death phonetic album that came out in 2008 and for me i was like you know already out of college and i was working and i'm like you know that's like for that's like an adult album for me but for you you yeah. were 16 and that was your first metallica record so you know it's, it's weird fun. to think about that yeah so everybody has a different entry point and you know uh, and I'm sure it's the same with Nick Cave. Any artist that has such a long career, um, I know personally, I've definitely paid more attention probably to his uh, '90s and 2000s output than uh, a few of the earlier records. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. But then again, I wasn't around, you know, in the '80s for that stuff. Right. Exactly. That was one thing I appreciated from listening to those uh, episodes of your podcast. Is you definitely. You're like a true fan because you I, I didn't I don't think I once heard you say anything negative about albums that <laughs> I always feel like people say negative things about. Like, I didn't know about Lulu, but the joke with my friends and I, uh, you know, when I was in like early college, high school, like late high school years was that St. Anchor was kind of like a joke. Yeah. And, you know, we'd walk Dude, people treated St. Anger like it was like Nickelback or something. It wasn't that bad. Like it people, was never that bad. People and, still hate that record with a passion <laughs> whenever anybody brings up metallica i always sing that little say uh, but you know I, uh, I i just i think it's cool that you're you're like you're with it for every phase of metallica like you're you're not just like every phase is interesting to you which is great because you have a podcast about it so it's not like you can just be like well i hate this record i can't talk about it um, uh, yeah, I'm I'm su- I'm a super nerd, and I'm and I'm definitely biased to a certain extent. But you know, I I will take critical look at things, and but it's always I always try to keep it within context of like their own stuff and their own catalog, and not really compare it to too much. Like, yeah, I think yeah. Saint Anger is a weaker album in their catalog, but there's still songs on it I like. Like you know, for me, I was graduating high school when that album came out, so I have again probably have a soft spot in my heart for it, but. Um, I recognize that it's a weird album. I think a lot of the criticism it gets is fair. Um, I don't think it's their strongest album, but you know, I I appreciate each one for what it is. And, uh, and I'm, 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 I'm just a nerd and I'm a little bit biased. It's fine because (laughs) on Apple podcasts, um, you know, people leave their reviews and, uh, uh, one of the one star reviews I got was, uh, it made me laugh. I've said it a bunch on my show because I, I, I just love it so much, but it's uh, epitome of a fanboy. Yeah. 
was the was the headline and then he wrote makes me hate being a fan of metallica <laughs> i'm like you're the dude who's, who's seeking out a metallica <laughs> podcast well it well yeah that's a big part of it too like well then why are you like if i'm listening to a podcast about something i gotta be pretty interested in it especially with all the podcasts and content in general that's out there yeah but i would hope you're a fanboy but plus too, i'm not, i'm never i never pretended like this is a critical uh you know dissertation mm-hmm. of the i said this is the metallica fan podcast like we're celebrating the band we're exploring the band like that's the point of the podcast <laughs> yeah exactly. i mean if i like a band enough to seek out a podcast i don't want to hear the host shit all over the band right yeah. like you know and I don't, I don't know what he was expecting but I, I got a good laugh out of that. Yeah, I I remember you. I I heard you say that on one of the episodes I listened to uh, <laughs> Metallicast. It's hilarious. I, I it's now a badge you, of honor for me. You know, oh, that's what I was about to say. Is like if you get a negative review, that's how you know you've you've got some success. Like Ian and I were joking around. We uh we did like a kind of a live stream not really uh it was like a we did a quick review of that live nick cave concert from back in july oh which um, was fantastic by the way oh you watched it was it. really it cool. was awesome oh yeah it was such a like a nice like moment of reprieve during the pandemic because no, totally. you can't go to shows yeah so you got to experience this very like intimate performance in your living room but we did a quick video afterwards talking about it and we got like four dislikes within like 24 hours on the video, which considering we're still, we just started out. I was like, right, okay, yeah. cool. if people are taking the time to dislike it, then at least they're watching it. Yeah. Um, and, and you yeah. know, we're goofy. Nick Cave fans love them to death, but a lot of them be very serious about it and take yeah, it yeah, like, yeah. like it's a job or something. Yeah. Which, you I know, about, respect. Uh, I thought about putting the, you know, eyeliner and, you know, coming in, like wearing all black and, you know. <laughs> getting the blackout curtains for the podcast but you know i figured we'd be more uh, genuine than that um so ian should we ask him uh that question about uh what what song would you like to see nick cave cover from metallica Ooh, Ooh. that is a great question you know what song i think he could really pull off if he did uh his own arrangement of it which i think is the only way to go if he's covering any of his songs but uh, it, it might be, you know, I know it's their biggest song, but him doing Inter Sandman, I oh, think it, yeah. he could, it's such a creepy riff. I think he could, and it's such a, it's such a basic, basically one riff song. And for me, like Lover Man's a great example of, uh, I might mention this right, but like what the bad seeds kind of do best for Nick Cave, which you know, like you have that bass that sort of holds the song together, but it's mm. really just the repetitive bass groove over and over again. And then they swell and build and then they bring it back down, but it's all just to basically a soundtrack for Nick Cave with little spurts of melody and whatnot sprinkled throughout, right? And uh, I think if he did something like that with Inter Sam, it'd be really cool. And there's actually. I'll send it to you guys uh, if you have any interest. But Metallica did um, an acoustic show. I think it was last year. Maybe it was two years ago now at this point. I think it was last year, though. And uh, so a lot of like their uh, songs, they do some kind of rearrangement. And they do uh, an acoustic version of Inter Sandman. And there's parts of it that sound 
kind of like the studio recording acoustic, but there are parts of it when I listened to it, I was like, this has sort of a Nick Cave vibe to it. It's really That's kind really of cool. slower, creepier, a little dirtier, a little grimier. And I was like, I, I think Nick Cave would really do a good job doing that. Yeah, yeah. Please send that to us. We'll uh, repost it on the Twitter or something. Cool. It. I feel like most anything on the Black Album, like Nick Cave would do a great job of. My first thought is like, if he was to go completely old school, like birthday party style, just like manic and crazy, yeah. something like Whiplash would be really cool. Uh, I would, but I, I think we're thirty love, years past that happening. I would love to hear, uh, you know, like a noise rock version of thrash metal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, but like you said, I think we're past that. I think it, when you look at the last few records, when you look at something like Idiot Prayer, uh, you know the the live stream that is you know i i just think that he's right now in his career he is more he's more about uh that intimacy that you mentioned before and Mm -hmm. uh and and i personally love it like i loved the live stream as much as i love the bad seeds as much as i love that soundtrack that they build around his voice and around his characters and around his songs for me, I, I really do not think there's anything better than just piano and vocals with Nick Cave. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. Like, it would it, it would be hard for most people to hold my attention for, like, an hour and a half concert where there's nothing but piano and vocals. But yeah. he did it. I love it. It was totally hypnotic. I was, I was like, glued to the screen. I think the only time I would... I got up was to like grab another beer or <laughs> yeah. the restroom. It, uh, it flew by too. It it ended. I was like, wait, that was it. That was short. I was like, oh, he played for ninety minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, but I was hoping he would do this song and that song. <laughs> yeah. You know. Let's be real though. The best part of that concert being at home is you don't have to wait in a line in like a dingy bathroom <laughs> in a venue yeah. to go uh-huh. to go to the restroom. You know. <laughs> um, no, all all kidding aside, I, I miss going to concerts a lot. Um, so going off of that, I, one thing I thought about that I wanted to ask you, Brandon, is I did a little bit of research about this, and Metallica's never played this song live, like their cover of Loverman. Why do you think that is? Ooh, unless I, you unless you know that they have it and they have played it, and I just I wasn't able to find it. You know what? I'm going to I I'm not to my knowledge, uh, but what I'm going I'm going to just double check for just cover all of our bases because um metallica.com has a really cool thing where they basically have stats of all their songs including how many times they've been performed live and whatnot but it would not be it would not surprise me if they did not perform it live um i mean do they play their covers a lot live they they do the misfits a lot right so yeah so what's interesting is when garaging came out they did like a small tour uh, where they only played cover songs that they have recorded. Um, oh, and they okay. did like, um, yeah, I don't see it listed at all playing live, but the, yeah, they, that's the only reason I was curious because they did that covers tour. It was basically like a, a short amount of dates. They played theaters instead of like arenas or stadiums like they typically do. And they had mm-hmm. a Metallica tribute band open up. So they had Metallica tribute band play Metallica. So you songs. got to hear the Metallica songs. Yeah. And then Metallica really came cool. on and they played everybody else's songs. But um, you know, I, I think Nick Cave, I think the Nick Cave version is just such a 
it's such a weird song in their catalog now um yeah. that in, and i think it's a hard song to pull off live in front of a heavy metal crowd because when you look at a lot of their other you know to go from like master puppets into Loverman, the crowd i think a lot i would lose my mind but i think a lot of the crowd would be like you know after chanting master master yeah, yeah. they're like L is for love, baby. I just think, <laughs> I just think for the audience, it probably does not translate as much. And they do play a lot of covers live, but they typically, typically will go with, um, you know, they if they do a newer cover, they'll do like "Turn the Page" or "Whiskey in the Jar," which were both radio singles for them. Or they'll do an older cover, like they do the Misfits a lot. They do um, uh, the band Diamond Head a lot because um, they have they they now have some covers that are like uh their cover like considered part of the canon yeah like am i evil by diamond head most people just think that's a metallica song at this mm -hmm. point um wow so that it so i think that's probably a big reason why but i am sort of surprised that they did not pull it out on that covers tour but they probably felt that it would be kind of lost in the shuffle among the other metal and punk covers that they primarily do i was looking at setlist.fm um and they have like statistics for Nick Cave, and he hadn't played Loverman live since 1996 until 2018, which yeah. I thought was really weird. I think that's one of his bigger songs. You know what's funny is I was thinking that again before we were recording that I feel like he does has not really performed that live at all in recent years, and this was a single off the album. There's a music video mm -hmm. for it, and. Uh, the music video is even a couple minutes shorter than the album version. So there was like a, like an edited radio version, I guess, or MTV version at least or whatever. But um, yeah, I, I was, it, it's sort of a song that was, as I feel like has sort of been lost in the shuffle of his own stuff. Yeah. I think a lot of the like instrumentation sounds a lot like red right hand. Like they're almost like sister songs to me. Yeah, and maybe Red Right Hand just you know gets all the attention because he re that's there's only a couple songs I feel like that Nick Cave cannot not play live, and right. Red Right Hand is one of them. Mercy Seat's probably the other, um, and you could maybe make an argument for one or two more, but uh, yeah, he's I I think it just sort of gets lost in the shuffle, and he's also a performer too that likes playing a lot of new material live, so as more and more stuff comes out and and that's fine with me because like i said his last two records mm. have been two of my favorites so if i went I, I i was lucky enough to see him on the uh skeleton tree tour and uh mm -hmm. that was my first time seeing him live and uh uh one it was one of the greatest concerts i've ever seen and two uh like the new material just held up with mercy seed and all the other classics they sprinkled throughout and uh, i agree it did he do that encore with uh, Stagger Lee, like bringing everyone on stage? No, not that I recall. I saw him on that tour, and he uh, the last song he played was Stagger Lee, and he just like opened the floodgates and let everyone. Oh, on stage he did come do up. that. Yes, yes, yes. You mean like, it was super all the cool. On. Yeah, yeah. He yeah, did yeah. Do that. And Stagger Lee is another very metal song, by the way. I mean, that would be a great one. <laughs> another great one for Metallica to cover. They, I think that they might not even go down that road with the Yeah, it might be a little too dark. <laughs> too dark for metal. <laughs> Have, Have you either guys... of you guys... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to ask. You You said you saw him on that tour. 
Um, I was wondering if both of you had seen him or how many times you've seen him, and because I just think he's such a dynamic live performer. I haven't. Seen I've only him, seen him twice. I haven't seen him like live, but I've seen like live footage, and you know, I watched the Idiot Prayer uh, show. As as soon as he starts touring again, I, I'm gonna buy a ticket. Yeah, I mean, I was sitting, I was sitting on like the lower level of the theater, but farther back, and. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to be as soon as he started performance, like I wish I was right there in the front row. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which he I, has this energy that man, not many frontmen have. No, he, he is. I, I don't, I can't even describe it. Cause he really doesn't do anything on stage. He just has such a presence that like a little movement of his hand or uh, singing to somebody in the front row for a split second, like just it, mm-hmm. it's enough to like, just grab every single eyeball in the place. Yeah. Like, you know, I grew up going to a lot of like hardcore shows and the singers would like fucking do backflips and like, just go crazy. And somehow he <laughs> right, has, yeah. he has like more gravitas just, yeah. Waving his hand. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think of like, you know, uh, being a metalhead at my core, you know, seeing a band like Iron Maiden live for fantastic mm-hmm. live show, but you know, they have, the fire and they have like their big itty mascot comes on. It's all goofy and over the top mm-hmm. and I love it. But, and I'm not saying that they need that, but Nick Cave just needs like his to stand on stage in a suit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have either of you guys heard the, the Martin Gore cover of Loverman? Uh, he's the guitar player in Depeche mode. I haven't listened to it. So I, I just listened to it because uh, last night, uh, in preparation I just sort of was googling stuff and that was the only other cover of Loverman that I found um, for me I listened to it it was an interesting listen I'm good not listening <laughs> to it again uh, I, same. <laughs> I, I mean I think it it for me you know we've the Nick Cave version it he, he like we've said already he's playing this character it has such a great eerie haunting feel and frenetic heaviness to it and i think metallica does such a great job of capturing that which you might you know if you're listening to this and you're not a metallica fan you might be surprised to hear that but i i i think they do a very faithful rendition of it Mm -hmm. um in their own way but for me the martin gore version just he he did something different with it which i respect but in doing something different with it it loses its hauntedness it loses its atmosphere and it just it the vocal delivery um was just it it was not a good translation of that character in my opinion yeah i thought um he played it like it was a love song like like tender and like yeah i feel like the song is like menacing and dark and he didn't do that at all yeah like i and i think you know it's a good idea like i feel like you know like if you could juxtapose the two Mm-hmm. It could work. I just don't think that it really delivered. And so, what do you guys think? Uh, you want to wrap it up? You guys have anything else? I think I hit on everything. Yeah, I, I don't really have much else to say. I think you know, just to kind of summarize it, I think I I love both versions of the song. I think there's pros and cons to both versions in terms of like which one I prefer. Uh, if I'm going to, if I'm forced to make a decision, I think the Metallica version, I think is actually more dynamic. Like I think their quiet parts are actually quieter and I, the heavy parts are a little bit more heavy. 
Um, mm-hmm. But what I like about the Nick Cave version is just that frenetic energy. And uh, I, if I'm remembering correctly, the the one big difference is that the Nick Cave version at the end is just builds and builds and builds and then stops. But Metallica, they actually bring it back down to a mellow ending and they end with one more how much yeah. longer and like it, it resolves itself so but i actually kind of prefer the nick cave version where it just sort of builds you up and leaves you hanging <laughs> what what is that in the metallica version like towards the back half is that like a saxophone going on i think it's all uh it's like a horn or maybe it's just guitar like ebo or something. i think it's all guitar I, it just with an effect in uh, I, I think they did a really great job of adding that in. It, it, like it fits I, super well. It sounds great. Like I said before, I think they're, when you listen to the layers of the song, you really can start nitpicking like the background melodies that upon first listen mm-hmm. sort of get lost in the shuffle, I think, uh, with all the other layers. But when you really pick apart the pieces, I think it really it's this hauntingly beautiful song. And I don't, I might be speaking out of turn here. I'm not sure. I don't think of Metallica as a band that does like a ton of like background layers. I usually think of like a riff and a lead. So it was probably cool for them to like just get to mess around the studio with all these layers. Yeah. I mean, usually different guitar parts. Usually laying for them is, you know, to beef up the sound or Mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, for guitar harmonies or they might do like some vocal layering with Hetfield, but they don't really do much layering for like atmosphere. They're not, they're not a band like that's very atmospheric. And uh, I think that was sort of their attempt at it. And uh, I I think they did it well, surprisingly. (laughs) I don't know if I I mentioned this earlier, but it's, I think it says here they recorded that song at three in the morning after they were like burnt out and they'd been recording all day. And I think all that experimenting, like experimentation that you're talking about Ian, like where you thought it was like saxophone or horn or something, they were probably just, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've been, I've been awake at 3am making music and I'll just like do something really weird that I would not have done if it was like, you know, normal waking hours. So maybe they just got really experimental and that's probably why the cover came out so good because and so that's when the best ideas come. Exactly. Well, and I think it's like, you know, I'm not condoning this, but like, I think that's part of the reason to why artists are like, well, I can't create if I'm not on drugs or alcohol, right? Because right. they feel like they need that kind of almost out of body experience to get there. And, you know, sleep deprivation is another way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I know artists who like chug hot sauce, like they'll just take a couple of like, like uh, drops of hot sauce or something. Uh, and that is like some sort of stimulant for them. Like the heat kind of like makes their body feel weird. Yeah. Um, I mean, any sort of like stimulant or depressant seems to have some sort of impact on musicians. But I mean, I now I make most of my music while I'm sober. Uh, I think Ian does the same thing. And uh, I think it just really depends. Like you can get into that mindset and uh, – the other thing is, is wasn't James Hetfield, uh, didn't, isn't he like, is, was he an addict or was he recovering from any sort oh, of Oh yeah, like... so he, he is a notorious alcoholic. Um... So that's another, th- uh, like the last, last thing I wanted to bring up is I feel like there's a kinship for him and Nick Cave because Nick Cave battled heroin addiction for so long. Yeah. And I think you can hear that 
con interconnectedness. And I think it makes the cover even more powerful because, you know, it is Hetfield, Hetfield kind of channeling his one of his idols or his biggest inspirations. And yeah. I think kind of going back, I, I, I spaced out uh, for a second. I couldn't remember when you were talking about the, what was it, Martin Gore? Yeah, the Martin cover. Gore yeah. cover. I, I feel like I, I haven't listened to it, but there's just always going to be a connectedness with Metallica and Nick Cave for that song now because they both have experienced like personal difficulties on a level that he may not have shared with Depeche Mode or uh, Martin L. Gore. That's kind of speaking off the cuff, but uh, I just wanted to add that in. Yeah, I think there's sort of, you know, you have to, and I know, I mean, I know Depeche Mode, but I'm not overly familiar with them, but they, Same here. they're not um, a band to me that seems to have like, a dark side and i'm not saying you need a dark side to be a good artist by any means but i also think it doesn't hurt <laughs> yeah I and, and i think you know if, if you're somebody like cave or hatfield and you can channel that and make something positive out of it like music then i think you know you're that's the real strong part of being an artist and a musician the real power of it all Absolutely. Um, so I did want to ask you, uh, Brandon, earlier, but I'll ask now. Yeah. Uh, what are your favorite covers on the uh, Garage Days? Garage because Days. I love this. Uh, I love the Nick Cave one, but my favorites are always going to be the Motorhead and the Misfits ones. I mean, it's just so cool hearing those songs and like the Metallica style. <laughs> I mean, I got to go with Misfits. I'm a big Misfits fan. They're another band that I. You know, when I was in middle school, I sort of discovered through Metallica, and I think that was the case for mm -hmm. a lot of people. But uh, it, I, I'm a sucker for uh, anything Misfits because I love that band. And uh, did you see them on any of the reunion shows? I did. I saw them in the Newark, New Jersey one. I saw them at the Chicago one, and what did you? I think? mean, Danzig was out of shape. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but it was great, and uh, Dave Lombardo played drums, and he yeah. fucking killed it. I mean, it was. I will. I will say this, and I and I'm saying this in the best way possible. It was the best worst show I've ever seen. How do you do that? <laughs> I, I know exactly what you mean. Like, like you said, dancing, sort of huffing and puffing about, and uh, you know the the mix where was sort of like a jumbled mess, at least from where I was in the arena. But it, but at the same time, like I didn't want anything else. Like it's. Misfits, yeah yeah you know <laughs> you want it to be a mess Danzig right. kept doing this thing uh at the show i was at where he was clearly i think they had planned to play like you know five songs at once take a break five songs take a break but he was needing a break in between every song <laughs> and he's standing there like huffing and puffing clearly trying to catch his breath but he's yelling at the crowd like are you fuckers still too old to mosh? Like, I still got it. You guys need a, you guys need a breather. I guess I guess we'll hold up for you guys to catch your breath. Oh, Danzig is so funny to me. Like he's just such. Oh yeah. He's become almost like a parody of himself, you know. But uh, I, I remember I saw him um, when I was in college. I saw him because it, he was coming through with his solo band, you know, just Danzig, and. Uh, mm -hmm. I, my my buddy and I were like kind of on the fence about going, but then he announced that Doyle uh, was gonna be doing a half hour set of all Misfits songs with him. So my buddy okay. and I were like, "Oh yeah, 
we we're gonna get tickets we're gonna go even if we just go for that half hour and uh we went so they're doing you know speaking of metallica covers he's doing uh they're about to break into die die my darling which they did on garage Inc. Mm -hmm. and you know he has to act like this big macho guy so he's like here's a song that metallica fucking ruined (laughs) die die my darling (laughs) and then like but then you know like Three years later, you're reading an interview with Danzig. He's like, he's like, oh yeah, I love the guys in Metallica. They basically, you know, bought my new house with <laughs> with the sales of Grudge. Oh it's like, it's like, oh, you're such a macho man, you. <laughs> but I do uh, love. Have you ever heard the, the Have you ever heard the French onion soup story with Danzig? No. Okay, so I don't know how much of this has like been fabricated like exaggerated or how much of it's true. <laughs> but the story goes, he's playing this festival in like Texas. And I think it might've been about like five years ago when um, weren't like the big four metal bands like doing festivals together, like Megadeth and Metallica. And- yeah, they did like a handful right. of big four shows of uh, Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, Anthrax. So I think it was one of these festivals and Metallica was headlining the night. I think it was a deal where there was like two stages right next to each other. Uh, Danzig was going to play and as soon as he was done Metallica was going to headline so it's like the middle of summer in Texas and Danzig's in his trailer and I guess someone's tasked with like getting him dinner they bring him whatever it is to eat and he's like oh no I wanted French onion soup (laughs) and the caterers are like we don't have French onion soup and he's like I can't go on unless I have French onion soup (laughs) so so they're like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, I will not play unless I get this soup. Like, I need it to go on stage. So I guess they, like, scramble around for, like, 20 minutes. There's like, They're like, yo, there's no way we can get this to you. Like, there's nothing on the festival grounds where we can do this. And he's like, well, just ask Metallica if they'll go before me and get the soup, and then I'll, I'll just headline. And they're like, one, if we wow. do that, everyone's going to leave. He just right. wanted to headline. Two, two we're not going to do that. And uh, apparently Metallica said no. I'm guessing no one even actually asked Metallica. Probably not. And he played. Yeah. But he threw this, like, hour-long fit oh over my God. the whole French onion soup. Well, I mean, incredible. in fairness to him, um, you know, I I don't think you can sing Mother without a, a <laughs> fresh bowl of French onion soup. So You need to have I would dancing with this one. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know what? I'm with Danzig, too. I'm with Danzig, too. Uh, and, you know... That mixed with that uh, picture of him carrying the kitty litter and oh, one of the best those, memes and those comics about uh, him and Henry Rollins hanging out. Oh yeah, like dating, yeah, yeah. dating each other. Yeah. I mean, he's there's no way he's gonna get back that uh, facade of like you know, you know, I'm a hardcore like masculine Have, dude. Like he's he's totally memefied now. Do you guys know the story of the bricks in his driveway? <laughs> No. no. So, well, there's two parts to this. First of all, have you ever seen, I think it's his old house now. I think he sold it. But Danzig's house in L.A. I, no, I, I did see it. that he had put it up for sale and, like, no one was buying it. Yeah. I'm not, I didn't see anything about it. I'm the not bricks. sure if it's sold or if he moved out of it or what the deal is. But his house is, you know, Danzig's had success in his career. From the Misfits mm-hmm. reunion shows alone, I'm sure he made quite a bit of money. Oh, he, yeah. he lives in this it's like this tiny it looks like a tiny haunted house 
and, and you yeah, I did see pictures of just like Halloween stuff you, everywhere. Yeah, and you and you know he it's on purpose. But then you there's pictures that were posted because it was for sale of the inside of its house of the house. Oh my god. Like his bedroom <laughs> is literally just like a mattress, like a few boxes of <laughs> like a few boxes of action figures on the floor, and like a handful of comic books on the floor. He they went into like the kitchen, it like the whole place is dirty. It looks disgusting. They go into his kitchen. They like took a like a picture of uh, like the cabinets, and he <laughs> I think it was. Uh, count chocula cereal <laughs> i remember seeing the yeah the count chocula i was gonna bring that up it was the only thing in there so yeah th- <laughs> if you've not seen pictures of it i'm sure if you just google like danzig's house it'll come up it's it's very entertaining but there's this i found a video of it i'm, I'm watching it as you speak oh uh, if there's a video i'll need to track that down but there's a story i don't know if this is true again but there's a story where he had i think it was bricks Somebody listening might correct me, but I'm pretty sure he had like a pile of bricks in his driveway. I don't know why, um, but it was there and it just sat there. And his neighbors, like, I guess, complained because they were just looking at like this huge pile of bricks for like months and months and months. <laughs> so the story is, is that like somebody like danzig had to like physically move the bricks himself <laughs> and so there's like this i i'm sure some of this is made up but like there's a story of like somebody in the neighborhood you know like walking by the house when danzig's moving the bricks and then just like oh these fucking bricks and just like muttering oh to himself but it's fucking hilarious i sent the uh the link to the video i found uh, so you can watch it later brandon i am definitely going to check that out thank you but they, I think it's more like a like a sort of trolley like comedy video, but yeah. there are some actual pictures of his house. It's it's pretty eerie. There's, I could easily uh, turn this into a Danzig podcast. <laughs> well, it, there's probably so many stories. I, I, All right, goodbye. <laughs> I got <laughs> I got one more good one that I just love. Uh, this is actually from an official video release of Danzig, um, and he's in his house, his now infamous mm-hmm. house. Um, and he's sitting in like on the floor in front of like his bookcase and he's showing his book collection and uh, you know it's all dark it's like black and white footage just like candles around him you know he like he really set the mood <laughs> and he's yeah. and he's going through his book collection and he has like one that's about like the lost chapters of the bible and he's like yeah jesus killed a man he like reads a passage like you know jesus struck him down he's like you know this is not what the (laughs) church wants you to know and he like puts it back on the bookshelf but the highlight of it is he takes out a book all about werewolves and he goes and i quote these stories are all documented all true (laughs) about werewolves Man, <laughs> you know I wouldn't have Danzig any other way. <laughs> no, yeah, I I, I never <laughs> want him to change. <laughs> All right, so uh, in wrapping up, uh, Brandon, why don't you rate uh, the Metallica cover of Loverman and the original? Uh, we usually do just do like you know zero out of ten, but you can do it however you want. I'm going to put, uh, you know, I like both songs. I like I said before, I think there's things i like better about each version um it's not my favorite metallica cover and it's not my favorite nick cave song 
Um, I would probably not, it probably would not even crack my top twenty for Nick Cave songs. But I'm gonna give it a uh, I'm gonna give give it seven Danzigs out of ten. <laughs> awesome. That's seven bricks out of ten. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. You know, I'm not a I'm not a big metal guy, but on the scope of Metallica, I think they do a great job of like taking the song being faithful, but also making it sound like a Metallica song. Uh, and then yeah, the Nick Cave song is is great, but it probably isn't even you know one of my three or four favorites on that album. So yeah, yeah. I think I think seven out of ten is pretty good. Yeah, I I think I'm with you guys. I I really enjoyed the song. Um, it's the cover is it's one of the best like instances of a band covering another band where the song is reminiscent of the of the the cover is reminiscent of the actual song but it brings its own style and it enhances it in some ways so yeah I, I would say I'd give it like seven shirtless Danzigs talking about <laughs> <real> werewolves. <laughs> well, yeah he a, has he has to be shirtless so that's a great point. absolutely um, gotta show off his uh, yeah so seven out of ten body. for me on both of them. <laughs> It, and before we wrap up, I do want to make sure that I, 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 I definitely want to shout you guys out because um, I was so again so happy to find there was a Nick Cave podcast, and then I, 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 I randomly stumbled upon you guys, and then I read the episode description. I saw like there was an email. I was like, I got to email these guys. I was like, you know what? <laughs> Let me listen first. Let me listen first and like <laughs> see if it sucks. And then, Make sure we're not total quacks. <laughs> and then and that too because i mean everybody in their dog has a podcast now too you know so i'm like who oh, knows yeah. who these people are so i i listened to like the first couple episodes and i was like oh this is great and uh if any metallica fans out there have uh you know a passing interest in nick cave i'd highly i would highly recommend you check out jubilee street because i i think if if you're not familiar with this category this is a great way to sort of take a deep dive into some select songs and, and then you can go from there and find your own way. Yeah. We're trying to make it friendly towards new listeners. And I would say the same thing to anyone listening to us. If you have any interest in Metallica or even just like metal adjacent things, like you have a whole episode on the misfits and a couple yeah. like ancillary things, like just kind of go around the feed. There's tons of episodes. Yeah. I'm sure there, there's probably something that will interest you. I have, and I have a lot of interviews recently that I, uh, you know, they're Metallica at its Metallica talk at its core, but you know, we, I, I like just like talking to people and, uh, you know, so we talk about music in general and metal in general. And, and if you're like a, you know, a music nerd, you, you might like a, an episode I did with like Michael Log or something, somebody like that who's like a legendary record executive and has worked with, you know, like Nina Simone and, a bunch of bunch of people so i uh, thank you for the kind words and uh yeah uh, please check it out and, and definitely check out jubilee street yeah heck yeah uh we were stoked to have you on this was a lot of fun we yeah it's super just fun. us two and it was really like great conversation i loved all the danzig stories and you know <laughs> you, you seriously just like know your stuff about metallica so it's it's like you know we learned and we learned a lot from you and just listening to your podcast you know we're going to, you know, use that to improve our own quality and stuff like that. So, um, oh, thank and you guys. then, you know, in the future, since Loverman isn't in your top 20 songs, uh, maybe down the road, if you want to come on and talk about one of your favorite ones, I'm sure Ian and I would oh, yeah, love to idea. do that. 
I would love to come back on anytime you guys will have me. I love Nick Cave. I love talking about Nick Cave. Um, it gets me out of my wife's hair, so I don't talk about Nick Cave and Metallica <laughs> to her. Um, so I would be more than happy to come on anytime. And likewise, that I I know you guys are not the biggest Metallica fans, but I'd love to have you on my show. And you know, it, it might be fun to choose like a topic whether it's a song or an album and kind of do a deep dive with you guys especially if it's something you've mean maybe never heard before um and kind of get your thoughts on it as sort maybe of an we outsider could do, uh, we could do lulu or something that that would be that <laughs> i would have be a fun episode <laughs> i have listen i have not done a lulu episode yet so I'm, oh, I'm, I'm penciling you in right now so <laughs> get cool. ready Get ready. I'll start I'm down. Doing my home- yeah, I'll start doing my homework. Jake, uh, you have no clue what you just signed up for. God bless you, bro. <laughs> All right. Ian's, Ian's along for the ride, so here we go. Yeah. The, the ramblings okay. of a 70-year-old Lou Reed. I want to again thank Jake and Ian from Jubilee Street Podcast for agreeing to do this episode with me. As was already said, you can find this episode on both of our respective podcast feeds. I had a blast speaking to them. I highly encourage you to check out Jubilee Street if you have any interest in Nick Cave, whether you are a longtime fan, uh, a newbie to his music, or perhaps maybe you've never even heard his music before but you're interested in checking it out. Their podcast is a superb companion piece to his catalog. Every episode is a single song, so it's a great entry point or a great way to get new information as a longtime fan. You can also find them on Instagram, Twitter, and I want to shout out Jake. He does great work as an electronic musician under the name Gabriel Ha. The link to his Spotify and Bandcamp is in the episode description as well. All their information is there. Please check them out everywhere you find Metalcast, Apple, Google, Spotify, and everywhere else. Follow Metalcast on social media at Metalcast Spot on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be on the lookout for my Edwin Outwater interview for Metal Talk TV on metaltalk.net. And of course, this Friday, August 28th at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, the Metallicast SNM2 live launch show. I will be joined by Scott Pingle and Doug Wright from the San Francisco Symphony. It'll be on that Metallicast Pod Facebook page, the metaltalk.net Facebook page, and our home site, Fans.Experts YouTube page. Find us on Fans.Experts.com as well, of course. And if you could be so kind, please leave a five-star review. Do not be like that schmuck who left me a one-star review. As funny as those reviews are to me, the five-star reviews really, really help the podcast in the long run. If you can leave a few nice words, as I've said before, it makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside, so I appreciate that. Till next time, ladies and gentlemen, metal up your ass. Yeah! And remember, it is for low, baby. Fans not experts.